Welcome to the Climb Your Mountain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Maurer, a certified personal trainer, high altitude mountaineer, and ultra runner. Each week, I show you how to train, eat, think, and live like a mountaineer so you can boost your chances of reaching the summit. My passion is to empower people of all ages and sizes to get outside and live lives of adventure. Remember, mountain climbing will never be easier than today. So let's dive into the show. Think you need to lose weight in order to climb your mountain? Here's a crazy thought. Weight loss can actually hurt your athletic performance more than it helps. You could lose muscle, make yourself more prone to injury, and feel too tired to push yourself in training. So in this episode, we're going to dive into who benefits from weight loss and how to do it the healthy way. It's all about taking it slowly and respecting your body's need for fuel. Ready? Let's do this. Today's episode is brought to you by my course, Mountain Fit, Self-Coaching for Mountain Athletes. So congratulations, you've signed up for a mountaineering trip or a long distance trek. Now, how the French toast do you get in shape for it? You could hire a coach to help you, but the ones who actually understand our sport are so damn expensive. And even if you get a good one, no coach is ever going to understand your lifestyle, your schedule, and your body the way that you do. The truth is you will always be your own best coach. You just need to know what to do and when to do it. That's why I created Mountain Fit. This online masterclass is the roadmap you've been looking for to help you reach your fitness goals. In this course, I walk you step-by-step through everything you need to transform yourself into a diesel-powered hiking machine, even if you're starting from absolute zero. By the end, you'll know how to assess your fitness level, write a training plan that gets results, and choose the best exercises for your goals. And if you need a starting point, I've included 40 weeks, that's 40 weeks, of training plans you can adapt for your own season. So stop wasting thousands of dollars on Tracy, the big box gym trainer who has never hiked a day in her life. Learn how to train yourself with Mountain Fit. To check it out, just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you in there. Hey friends, how you doing? I am well. I am actually working on a new 90-day goal. I know my last goal was to stop drinking for 90 days, and I shared a little bit about that in a recent podcast episode if you want to check that out. That was amazing. I can't believe all the things I learned about myself and all the ways that I grew through that. So definitely check it out if you're curious. But the new goal, which is not really related so much to the subject of this podcast, but I kind of think it is, is going to be all about human connection. Like, just working on my friendships, my connections with family, connection with self, right? We being our own best friend is so important because we're the only person that we're with like every minute of our life, right? So I know that's not as related to mountaineering as my last goal, but I also think it is because in mountaineering, we do spend so much time with other people. Our thoughts about them can really influence like how our trip goes, how much we enjoy it. And the truth is, the thing that's really interesting is it's all up to us. I know if you're like me, you probably have lots of rules for your friends about how they should be a good friend. And when they don't follow them, you get upset. But they don't know the rules, right? They've never read the manuals. So I'm learning to start to let go of some of that and just love my friends for exactly who they are and give them the freedom to be that way, which really helps me give myself the freedom to be who I am also. So if you're interested in just following along for the next 90 days, definitely check it out on Instagram. 
yeah, that's what's going on around here. So let's dive into the topic for today. I don't have a nice segue, but I, I love this topic. I think it's a really important one. It's definitely come up with a few clients and in our community a few times recently. And it's been a little while since I talked about weight loss on the podcast. So what I really want to dive into today is the perils, first of all, of losing weight during endurance training. It's not always a good thing. And then if you are a person who is likely to benefit from that, how do you do it in a responsible way that's healthy, that's not compromising your need for fuel? I'm going to give you a bunch of thoughts about that today. So let's start with the first question. Should you actually lose weight? Like a bunch of you are out there going, duh, yeah, <laughs> have you seen me? And... <laughs> If that's you, know that I, until fairly recently, was right along with you. I never was happy with my body, never felt like I was the right weight for the sports I was doing, blamed my weight for many of the things that were going wrong. And today I'll share a little bit about how that's changed. But the truth is, a lot of us buy into the myth that losing weight is a shortcut to getting faster and stronger on the mountain. And let me just share a couple of examples of why that's not necessarily true. So first one, this is someone I've talked about on the pod before, but she's definitely worth mentioning again. She's a collegiate cross-country runner. Her name is Rochelle Shoeless. And she went on social media to kind of document her experience gaining 20 pounds during her collegiate career. So early in her career, she was really an amazing runner placing, I think her highest placement at nationals was fourth. So basically fourth in the country for her event. And at the time she was pretty underweight. She was very prone to injury. She was prone to mental burnout. She was achieving all these amazing things as a collegiate runner, but not really enjoying the journey, not having fun. So she actually had an injury and she had to take time off. I think she took a season off from competing. And then when she came back, she had gained weight. She was 20 pounds heavier. So went to nationals, ran the same event, finished, and the finish time was only 12 seconds above her personal best when she finished fourth. So, you know, that 20 pounds, 12 seconds, it honestly didn't make a huge difference in her running career, right? She still placed, still had an awesome time, an awesome performance. But the thing that really stood out for me and that she really emphasized, and one of the reasons she wanted to talk about this and go public, was how much more joy that being a little heavier and not so obsessed with food and weight brought to her running career. She felt healthier. She felt more energetic. She was excited to get up and train every day and compete. She was having fun with her teammates for the first time. And just that letting go of the weights of having to be so skinny and so restricted and look a certain way in order to compete, which had nothing to do with reality, right? Well, maybe 12 seconds, but not a huge difference. That made such a difference in her world. So before you jump into the whole weight loss thing, a few things to consider. Are you buying into the myths about weight loss that your body has to look a certain way, be a certain way in order to perform? And one thing to keep in mind, and I think we all underestimate like the hold this has on our brains, is that our thoughts about weight in our society are just so brutal. We think that you know a heavy person could never climb a mountain we have to be skinny to do certain things. And it's empirically not true, right? We can find people to prove that this is wrong. 
some examples. If you feel like you need some in your life, um, Carla Powell, I've also talked about her before on the pod, hiked the Inca Trail at 385 pounds. She wrote an amazing essay on it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Another one I really like is Keith Holt. He's uh, a man here in Colorado that was interested in getting into climbing the 14ers, and he weighed 400 pounds. So he actually started training to climb Long's Peak, which is one of the the big 14ers here, 14,000-foot peaks, at 400 pounds. He would go out, hike, do all the things that you're doing. And he actually lost 130 pounds during his training phase. And then when he climbed Long's Peak, he was still not thin. He was 270 pounds. But he was so motivated and excited by that. There's actually a video where he kind of shows a condensed version of his journey, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. Amazing guy. I actually know Keith. He's he's just an awesome human being. And he's continued to lose weight and keep doing new things, which I think is really exciting. Some other considerations to think about if you're really thinking that you need to lose weight. I want you to stop and think that sometimes being like rail thin and super skinny is not the best thing for your sport. This is especially true in endurance sports, where as we always talk about, you have to go out and hit it hard for like 12, 15 hours, especially you mountaineers that are going to be, you know, going out there on summit day and just be out for half a day going the whole time. It's really important, A, that we have muscle. What does muscle do for us? It holds fuel. That's where your glycogen is stored. And then muscle is also important for the performance in your sport. So if you think about climbing Mount Rainier, you got to carry a heavy pack up to base camp and then a slightly less heavy pack to the summit. But it still requires a lot of strength. So one thing that happens and if you think about Rochelle Shoeless and all her injuries is as soon as we start losing weight and unhealthy ways, we're at risk for losing muscle instead of fat. We may be losing weight, but it's not the part of our body that we actually want to lose. It's the part that's really important that we need to keep for performance. So keep that in mind. I'll keep coming back to that as I talk about how to lose weight in healthy ways. Another thing I think it's really important to do is to give yourself a reality check, especially if you're someone who's maybe within 20 pounds of where you think you should be. I think it's a good idea to maybe go and talk to a professional, get your body fat testing, and see if you actually need to lose any weight at all. I talked a little bit about this a couple episodes ago. My story was getting my body fat tested and I'd always thought, you know, I'm so short, I'm so stocky, I need to lose weight, I will be faster if I lose weight. And then when I got it, I actually got the results, I was like really shocked. I'm like, wow, I'm exactly where I need to be. Maybe this is just the way my body looks. It doesn't look like all the people in the magazines and whatnot, but this is exactly where I need to be. And it was such a freeing thing, like right away, like it just lifted that weight of always needing to worry about what I was eating it's been amazing. It's been like one of the best things that's ever happened to me. So if you know that you are overweight and need to lose weight for health reasons, like some of you are going to be in that boat, I don't think it's necessary to get tested and certainly don't do it if the results are going to be something that you use to beat up on yourself. But if you're kind of borderline, like if you're just kind of curious, you're getting close, but never close enough, then maybe it's something to consider checking out. So probably either getting a DEXA scan underwater weighing, or there are, um, I'll talk about my scale that I have at home, um, some devices at home that I think actually work fairly well. 
and if you use them correctly. So let's talk about how to lose weight for those of you who are thinking about doing it in a healthy way that also allows you to feel your body. So really, one of the important questions to ask yourself is not so much how, as when. When is the best time to lose weight? Best time is in the early season. Why? Because this is when your volume is lower, so you're not necessarily needing as much fuel to go for hours and hours during workouts. And at this time, your intensity is also probably a little bit higher. But overall, the intensity of your workouts, the training volume is somewhat low. So if you've listened to my podcast episode on black periodization, best times to do this are the very early block where you're just kind of getting back into exercise. You're either hiking or running or just doing your sport for fun. And then you're going to move into a VO2 max phase, also known as the HIT phase. And that's also a good time to do this. And as you start getting into the lactate threshold phase, your fuel needs are increasing. But yeah, you could still do some weight loss there. Once you're in that specific phase, that endurance phase where you're going out, like spending lots of time on your feet, many hours, maybe not many hours, but maybe for a lot of us that are, you know, also not sponsored athletes and working regular jobs. You're exercising six to 12 hours a week. You don't want to lose weight there. Your fuel needs have increased a lot in order to sustain that. And the actual worst time to try to lose weight is a few weeks before your event leading up. At that time, at your peak intensity, you need a lot of calories, a lot of fuel to sustain what you're doing. And one mistake a lot of people make is they want to lose weight during the taper. The taper is that rest period that you take a couple weeks before your event where you're exercising less. But that's a huge mistake because one of the whole goals of the taper is to build up your glycogen stores. Glycogen is the carbohydrate fuel that's stored in our muscles. During that peak week, when you're exercising a lot, it gets depleted a bit. And that taper is the time when you're replenishing it. So during the taper, you actually want to replace all your calories. So you don't want to run a deficit at all, even though it feels like you're not exercising a lot, because rebuilding the glycogen stores is your number one priority during that time. If you try to lose weight while you're in your peak or your taper, it's probably going to slow you down and it could hurt your chances of finishing that climb, finishing that race. Other dangers of underfueling to be aware of. This is true at any point in your training cycle. Underfueling is going to make you tired, and you need to be able to push in every workout to get enough training stimulus in order to see improvement. So if, for example, if you're doing a lactate threshold workout and you can't get up to your lactate threshold because you're so tired, you're just dragging, you can't get your body to work hard enough to make some lactate, you're not going to have the response where you raise your lactate threshold, kind of get that second gear to shift into. So it's really important that you eat enough. We talk about resting enough so that you can push hard in workouts. You also need to eat enough. It's just as true. I mentioned losing muscle mass is one of the huge things we worry about when people are losing weight. You want to make sure that you're losing weight slowly, eating enough food so that your body is letting go of fat and not like trying to hold on to the fat because it's worried about survival and then it's letting go of the muscle. And another one last thing to keep in mind is that underfueling, not eating enough, can actually sabotage your weight loss. It can actually convince your body that it's in starvation mode and there's danger and it will try to hold on to fat. And again, it will let go of muscle and 
before it will let go of fat, which is exactly what we don't want. So once you've got the timing down, once you kind of understand the risks of doing it at the wrong time and you know you're going to do it at the right time, how much should you eat? This is the next thing you should figure out. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to what's called the TDEE calculator, Total Daily Energy Expenditure. So this is really, really simple. This is a great tool. I actually had this and I actually talked about this in a past podcast and I had a link to it and the people who created it contacted me because it was in my show notes and they're like, hey, we just improved this and it's so much better. So, and it, it is, I've been playing with it and loving it. So definitely check it out. So one of the things they added to this calculator that makes it a little bit more accurate, if you know your body fat, either from formal testing, or if you have some of an idea from a scale, you can put that in and that will actually change your calorie requirements for the day. People that have a lot of muscle, actually they need more calories. So if that's you, that's a good thing. You'll find out once you put in all your info. And if, if you need a, a scale to have at home, one that seems for me to work, I know kind of what mine is from getting tested in the past, what my body fat percentage is at different weights. This particular scale seems pretty accurate. It seems to track with that. So, you know, I'll put a link in the show notes to this particular scale if you want to check it out. It's been really great. I also encourage you to get it checked professionally, especially if you're doing it the first time, just so you can make sure it's accurate. But yeah, once you've got your body fat, you get all the the stuff to plug in there. What the calculator is going to spit out is it's going to give you a couple numbers. So the first one is then if you're eating the same amount of calories every day of the week, it'll give you a number for that. And for a lot of people, that is a little bit easier to stick to than tracking and changing it up every day, especially if you're meal planning and you like to keep your meals pretty simple. We've talked in the past on the podcast about how it's kind of nice if you keep rotating through a couple of different meals, keep the menu, Maybe it changes every week or every other week, but it's it's basically pretty simple and pretty repetitive, right? That's a lot easier to track, a lot easier to ensure you're getting everything you need. However, if you also like to eat heavy on the day of your long workout and maybe eat a little lighter on your rest days, it's going to show you numbers calorie requirements for sedentary, light exercise, and active days. So that's a good option, especially if you are at the point in your training where you have one very long workout that makes you really hungry and you really just want to replace more food after that. So once you kind of know about what your calorie needs are for the day, you're going to shoot for a deficit of 300 to 500 calories most days. That's the equivalent of losing one half to one pound a week. And that might sound kind of slow to some of you, but here's the thing, because you are an endurance athlete, because your body has so much fuel needs, it's really important to be conservative. You don't want to be in that stage where your body is losing muscle instead of fat, and it's really easy for you to tip into that. So I recommend just keeping that deficit really reasonable, really easy to do, and it's gonna, once you start doing this, you're gonna realize that you are more hungry. So 300 to 500 actually is a bit of a challenge. It's probably the most that a lot of people can do. And then a lot of people want to know what should you eat and not eat during weight loss. And my answer is there are way fewer rules about this than people think. There is money to be made in overcomplicating this stuff for sure. So there's like when you see all kinds of websites and programs and books and fancy diets, just know that it's not necessary. Really, here are the most important things to remember. 
First, you just want to eat a healthy, nutrient-rich diet. So what does that mean? It means that the things that you eat are actual whole foods coming out of the ground once a day. You want to make sure that you're eating at least one meal that you prepped yourself. It also means reading food labels, like how many vitamins, minerals, carbs, fats, proteins are in this food, what kind, really understanding what that means and just making smarter choices. And then finding creative ways to eat more fruits and vegetables. I know for me, I'm not a big salad eater. So every day I make myself a smoothie and sometimes two smoothies in my Vitamix. If you go on my Instagram, you can often see me there mixing them up. It's it's really fun and it, it's a nice way to just like drink my fruits and vegetables while I'm driving in the car, which is kind of a time saver as opposed to like trying to hold a salad and eat it when you're on the go. And a lot of people ask about specific diets, keto, paleo, low carb. I actually teach my athletes a high carb diet. All the research we have suggests this is the diet that endurance athletes perform best on. This is the diet that our bodies crave. It gives us really easy access to fuel. Whenever there certainly are low-carb athletes, their bodies do have to go through an adjustment process to make that work. If that's something, if the low-carb thing is interesting to you, I definitely recommend working with a dietitian or an expert in that area just to make sure that your body is getting all the fuel that it needs. But the low-carb, it's very simple, or I'm sorry, the high-carb, it's very simple, it's proven for decades and decades that this is a good and safe approach for endurance athletes. And when I say high carb diet, I'm not just talking about eating nothing but bananas. I'm talking about eating bread, eating bagels, and even eating some simple sugars, some simple carbs, some candy maybe during your long workouts. And then also keeping in mind, we need protein in order to repair the body. And if we're vegetarian, we're eating only plant-based sources of protein, just making sure that we're matching those in order to get all the different amino acids. So making combinations like beans and rice, peanut butter, in crackers will help us to make sure that we're getting all the protein, all the building blocks we need to help our muscles repair and get bigger and grow. And then fat. A lot of people are really scared of fat, but fat is actually necessary for our heart health. Like we need it. <laughs> we need healthy fats like olive oil, avocado, seeds, nuts, fish, fatty fish. These things all can actually help to prevent chronic illness, keep us healthier. And I think one of the reasons fat gets a bad rap is because it's energy dense, but you still need to have some fat every day. So just making sure that's from healthy sources. And finally, what exercises are good for weight loss? There is a myth that there's a fat burning zone. A lot of people maybe learn this in high school, that if you exercise at low intensity, you burn more fat, which it's a little bit more complicated than that. So let me explain. Whatever you're exercising at kind of low to moderate intensity, fat is the fuel source that your muscles are using primarily. However, it's burning very slowly. So you're not actually burning as many calories. Also, you're not able to take advantage of what's called the afterburn effect. When we do very intense exercise, it actually creates an oxygen 
oxygen deficit that means that our bodies keep burning fuel after we stop exercising. So maybe if you go out and you just do a very intense hike, some hill repeats, something like that, you come back home, you turn on the Netflix for another like two hours and maybe for many hours, depending on how hard you worked out, your body's still going to be burning extra calories. It's basically your metabolism getting a little bit of rev. So a lot of people get frustrated if they're getting out, say, hiking a lot, getting out every weekend, getting out on the weekdays, and they're hiking at a moderate pace, and they're really just not seeing a lot of progress with their weight loss. They might wonder, what's the mistake? What's going on? Well, here it is. In order to create the optimal environment for burning fat, losing weight, we really need to add some intensity. So if you check out my podcast on block periodization, you'll see those VO2 max blocks were really pushing hard just for a short period of time, very short but intense intervals. That's a wonderful time for burning fat. That's actually the time in my own training when I probably see the most weight loss. It's also somewhat true for our lactate threshold block. Whenever we're doing longer intervals at kind of medium to high intensity, that's also giving us a bit of that afterburn. It's burning a lot of calories. So if you don't have those two blocks in your workout plan, it's time. It's definitely time to work that in. And I know in my Mountain Fit course, this is something I explain in detail. I give you templates, tables, detailed instructions of how to build those kinds of workouts. So if that's something you're like, wow, I really need that, then definitely Mountain Fit would be very helpful to you in that way. So friends, that is how you lose weight during endurance training in a safe and healthy way, losing fat instead of muscle. And once again, not all of you that think you need to lose weight need to do any of this. Some of you, if you really dig into it a bit, might be just fine where you are. And knowing that can be a huge relief. So definitely consider that possibility too. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I will catch you here next week. And if you have any questions, feel free to holler me on Instagram, jump into my Facebook group. It's a great place to hang out. And I look forward to talking to you. Have a good week. Hey friend, if you're enjoying the pod, there are two simple and free ways you can show your support. First of all, please share this with a friend who might find it helpful. And second, please leave a review on iTunes. Your support means the world to me. Thanks so much for tuning in.